The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Perfect Peace by Choice Welcome to Beside Still Waters. This is the place where we gather privately in the presence of God to saturate ourselves in His holy presence, to be encouraged by His Word, to meet God in a place where we experience transformation. And so today we're going to continue on the topic of perfect peace. But this time it's perfect peace by choice. We asked this question from our previous podcast, and it's a question we asked with intention. What would result if I deliberately strove to not worry and wholly determined to trust God implicitly with unwavering determination? What would my day be like? What would be my emotional experience? What would change in the way I live? How would my attitudes be affected? Isaiah 26, 3 says, You, that is God, will keep in perfect peace the mind stayed on him. For that person trusts in him. In the authorized version, it is, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And that's what we are considering in the life of Paul. That's, that's the subject at hand today. The look of, at uh, the life of a man as he was in a Roman prison where his fate was being determined and by all intents and purposes, his fate was not going to be a good ending. It was clear at this point that Paul was probably going to be beheaded for the faith. And so we look at the trial, or I should say we look at his final thoughts as he faced this trial and what he aspired to seeing the end of his life coming into focus. And there's so much to say about this letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi, but there are some takeaways for us that are clear and poignant and definitely applicable. As you know, Besides Still Waters is really designed and devoted to encouraging believers across Christendom to actively trust God in every way 
in every circumstance and to, to walk with God, to develop that lively, devoted, loving relationship with the God of heaven. And since we are dealing with peace as it relates to trial, that, that each believer may learn on a moment-by-moment -moment basis to lean on the Lord in every circumstance, in all outcomes, for the needed grace, wisdom, understanding, and discernment for the decisions that need to be made in the immediate time frame. Now, we all have at one point or the other confessed that we trust God or that we have faith in God. But we also often do so in a very general way. Meanwhile, the time frame between the confession of trust and the conclusion of the issue are it's often pregnant with frequent intervals of anxiety and worry, if we're honest with ourselves. And so we're attempting to tackle the task of taking active steps against worry and practice exercising implicit trust in God's providential care. On our previous podcast, I gave an exercise uh, at the end of the uh, podcast episode for each listener to be able to discern your own heart-faith condition, if you will. That podcast was application intensive. It was designed to encourage you and, and myself as well to be actively trusting God real time. And I, I urged you to track the results. And at a later date, we will return and uh, we can perform a personal evaluation. But this was really designed to help everyone Take active steps and to see for yourself, do I really trust God? How am I trusting God? To what level uh, of, of, uh, of uh, success, if you will, am I performing? And I, I don't want to look at it as a success failure, but we have to. We are examining our hearts. And so the key objective, and I, I've repeated this several times in the previous podcast, and in this podcast, the key objective with respect to perfect peace and having that experience, the objective is to deliberately trust God and refuse to worry about the outcome. Make a conscious choice to refuse to worry, but I am determined to trust God and then immerse oneself in the task and seek to perform that task to the very best of your ability, doing what you believe would please God, and then leave the results to him. And then we will see for ourselves how Paul did this very thing. This is exactly what Paul did. He fully immersed himself in the moment, and seeing the hand of God at work in spite of the external circumstances and their appearance. 
And so the, the task that was given in uh, the previous podcast was an opportunity to trust God and to note the key observations, which I believe will provide valuable insights to you about your walk with God. And so you ask, why is this necessary? Well, it's necessary because you need honest feedback. And I believe that self-examination, as we are often called upon in the scriptures to exercise, is far easier to embrace, but certainly yields a lot of uh, important feedback for us. And I hope that you will go into this with clarity of mind and, of course, willingly. So now let's get back to Paul. What's the big picture? What's the big picture? Let's look at the big picture. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul mentioned to the church that having confidence of this very thing, very specific, this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto Jesus Christ's day. He who has begun a good work in you. And so in this verse, it's clear to us that God has started something in our lives. The work of regeneration, the rebirthing process. And he's also begun a work of transformation. And the end date for that completion of that work is the very day of the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And between now and then, God wields command of all things that will be used to accomplish that purpose, to finish his work in me. And my friends, you and I need to drill down in our understanding and to make sure that we grasp what God is after, what he, what he seeks to accomplish. Number one, it is God that has begun this work. We see a lot of literature, both on the internet as well as as periodicals and so forth and so on and over the airwaves that as though we have some, you know, we can self-reform. Yes, to a degree, we can change certain behaviors, of course. We can learn new behaviors. That's Anyone can do that. An animal not possessing human intelligence can do that as well. We can train animals to do things that they never would have been able to do unless they were trained. But that's not what, what, what the Spirit of God is pointing out to us. What the Spirit of God is pointing out to us is a complete conversion, a regeneration. That which is born of flesh is flesh. But this is a rebirth of the Spirit of God. It is a divine work with a view to transform every person from what they were to what they can be, from pagan to saint. And for what they can be and become in Christ. And that is Christ-like. Paul sets our vision on the completion of that work. Sometimes we, you and I, stress about what we have to do in order to become what we think we ought to become. But that finished template is set 
in the mind of God. It is God's responsibility to do the transforming work. And you say, well, what is my part? Well, my part is to be looking to God to do the very completing of that work and to be yielded to God to allow him to continue unhindered. And the end goal is the day that Jesus Christ assumes all the reins of power in all the world from things above to the very things beneath the earth as well as on the earth. That, my friend, is the end point when, as the scripture says, the Lord Jesus hands over all things to the Father. I believe you'll find uh, those statements in, in the book of Corinthians, first letter. But in conclusion, this is the key point. God is behind the scenes and within the scenes working his perfect will. That perfect will is going to be affected by the very circumstances that God has allowed into our lives. How do we know? Well, remember I said we're going to be looking at Paul's life. And verse 12 says, as Paul writes to the church at Philippi, but I would have you know, brethren, that the, and listen carefully, the circumstances in which I am have turned out rather to the furtherance of the glad tidings. The circumstances in which I am, that's one view, have turned out rather to the furtherance of the glad tidings. That's the divine result. And this is where, as the saying goes, the rubber meets the road. Verse 12 refers to the things that have happened to me in my life, to Paul in his life clearly evidencing the fact that the Philippian believers were well aware that Paul was incarcerated for the sake of the gospel. He was their father in the faith, and now they have to stand by as observers and spectators, perhaps, and see the end of this great man. But Paul, in his letter, arrests the thought, and he's about to make an important commentary about his circumstances. And we need to pay attention. He's going to make a commentary about his circumstances, which is also a commentary to us about our circumstances. There's no difference. It's the same God. Number one, he's saying, my circumstances have happened in such a way that the gospel is being furthered. God is using my loss my challenge, my trial, as a means of fast-forwarding his agenda, his plan for his glory. Secondly, Paul went further by saying, and, and I'm paraphrasing, I have been incarcerated, but opportunity has opened within the praetorian, that is, the palace guard. The palace guards are hearing the gospel as well as in other places within the palace. And God is reaching people that would never have been reached with the gospel and is doing so in places of power. This is a perfect example 
of God at work in a man's personal trial. Thirdly, and here's what an important takeaway for you and me. God is working a plan which, if we submit to it, we will be used to touch lives far beyond where we could have reached and how we could have reached it. But the problem is this. From where you and I stand as we go through the trial, we have no idea who is observing, what they are observing, and what the impact is. This is why it behooves us to yield to the working of God and to go into the trial willingly and expectantly wanting that God will work his perfect will. Here's the conclusion of this matter. The results appear confusing, but one must only trust God that the unfolding events have a perfect purpose. The negative is what happens to me. The positive is what benefits others in whatever God has designed for them. The challenge is we cannot always see his design for ourselves, nor the intended impact of my life in the trial as others are observing. Similar to Paul with the palace guard. In verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die, gain. And so Paul preaches the gospel of Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the key subject. This is what Paul has been communicating and what he has communicated. And there's no shame in his association with Christ, but he endeavors to be bold, embracing this truth. Paul was embracing all that was occurring in his life right up to that point, both the things that pertain to life and probably, as he was seeing, the things that will pertain to death. He embraced it with equanimity. My beloved friends, this is, this, is, this is the standard operating level. Embracing with equanimity. Embracing the trial with equanimity. For me to live is Christ. That's God's work. And if I die, trusting God to accomplish with my life what could be accomplished, I gain. There's no loss. Embracing the trial with equanimity. Here are some takeaways. Firstly, the purpose of the trial is that Christ is made manifest. Secondly, 
The trials are the very stuff, the grist for the mill, the substance that God uses and will use to manifest Christ in me. Thirdly, Paul determined, and I repeat, determined to embrace this current circumstance with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you read this letter, you don't read a letter where a man is defeated and he is facing death. And so here is the life lesson that Paul, by his life, is teaching me, teaching you. With respect to perfect peace being a choice, I must embrace every trial as a God-sent circumstance, a God-enabled circumstance, a God-allowed circumstance. I must embrace the trial. And so Paul could write further on in that same chapter that to us, to you, to believers, it has been given as regards the Lord Jesus Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for him also. And so the lesson becomes for me that my association with the Lord Jesus Christ has committed God to one goal, to use any and every circumstance in a way that I, you, we may be made complete in Christ Jesus according to Paul's letter to the Colossian church, first chapter, 27th to the 29th verse, says that we may present every man complete in Christ Jesus. Let's have some closing thoughts about the, 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 the working of God, the energy of God. We find this in the 9th to the 11th verse of the uh, succeeding chapter. Where does the power come from to live this devoted life. How can a, how can a human being uh, uh, that is prone to, and we all are, prone to self-preservation, be able to rest in a circumstance that seems to be threatening? And yet I'm called upon to embrace it with an open heart and mind. My friends, there's a coming day prophetically in the scriptures when every knee shall bow to the Lord Jesus Christ, and every tongue confess that he, the Lord Jesus, is in fact Lord to the glory of God the Father. And based on all that we know of Scripture and the writings of Paul, it will be everything in heaven bowing, everything in the earth. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything beneath the earth will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I have no idea or I don't have a clue what that really means about things beneath the earth bowing to him. But here's the key issue. Paul says everything will be subservient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that includes the current trial that you and I are faced with. We need to look at the big picture and the big picture is simply that not only things that are future, but the things that are present, the things that are to come, the things that have passed before, were all subject to his will. It is, it is 
we need to, it, it's similar to uh, Revelation 5, when this little scroll was, was held in the hand of the one that sat on the throne, and all of heaven was not rejoicing because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And even John began to weep. But then the lamb that was slain was the one that was found worthy to open the scroll and to, to break its seals. And those seals contain all of God's redemptive plan for men, the whole working of his plan to the very end until the enemy, hell and death, are cast into the lake of fire and so forth and so on. Everything, new heaven, new earth, the whole package. The Lord Jesus was given the sole responsibility to be the executor of the will of God. And that pertains to trials that you and I encounter as well. He is the only one that is worthy to take the matters that God has planned for the whole earth and mankind and caused it to be put into effect. He has complete dominion, both at the throne level and his authority drills down to the circumstance that you and I are currently sitting in. The trial we have today, the pressure you and I feel within, the challenging people that surrounds us today, the things that seem to turn out against you and me, and everything that you and I can imagine is subject to and under his control and divine mastery. In chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he exhorts the believers to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. For, he says, it is God who works in you, both the willing and the working, according to his good pleasure. And so, my dear friend, God will grace you to embrace the coming circumstance, whatever that is. His good pleasure is the very thing that he has designed to bring out Christ in you and me. And my willingness, your willingness to will, the desire to will, to want to work, is proof of the evidence of God's Spirit working in our lives. And the doing of his will, the receiving of the trial as allowed by him, the fact that I'm receiving it is his grace at work in me, enabling me to do just that. So don't think for a moment that you uh, are in any way in control, that you're the one doing the work. You and I are called upon to yield, to give in, to allow his grace to be operative, to embrace the trial, trusting him to do something with it. And if you find yourself willingly yielding to his perfect will, great, well done. That, my friends, is the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit, the yielding, the willingness to yield. In verse 16 uh, of the same chapter, chapter 2, Paul uh, exhorts the believers to hold fast the word of truth. Paul had a view, or had in view, the day when Christ is exalted and added as he was writing about that, that his desire was to know Christ in his power as it pertains to resurrection life, as well as in his suffering. And so, my friends, the power at work 
which was necessary and exercised in raising our Lord Jesus from the dead is the same power at work for keeping you and me in his grace. The problem is, we don't often see the work because of our unbelief. It is difficult, I confess, for us to believe that you know, we have any influence on the workings of God. Sometimes, you know, we tend to think that uh, you know, we, we have that sort of clout, if you will. But if the scriptures were examined, and especially in the Old Testament, we would see that God was often hindered from doing a mighty work because he found that his people were unbelieving. And so God cannot work except the believing people are relying on him to do what he, <clears throat> excuse me, what he would and that the believer is willing to acknowledge that in and of themselves they have no power at all. We've dealt with this in a previous podcast, uh, you know, encouraging believers to look to God with a single heart. Several of the podcasts have, have, uh, have this theme running through it. That, that is to be looking to God with singleness of heart and full expectation that God and God alone will work on our behalf. And this belief, I am convinced, must extend to trial. If I am not convinced that God is in control, then to me, God is not in control, although he is, in fact, in control. But with respect to his accomplishment in my life of his perfect will, that will be hindered. And it will be necessary for God to bring new trials, new circumstances, and continue to do so until you and I finally get it. In chapter 3, in verse 10, Paul mentions that to know him, that is the Lord Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. This was the bullseye. The power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering, conformed to his death. The Lord Jesus was obedient unto death, even to death of the cross, we are told in chapter 2. And for this cause, God highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, as we read earlier, every knee shall bow. But he was willingly obedient. And you know, there are many of us that want to experience that resurrection power, the expression of the charismatic uh, evidences. And if this God was real, Paul wanted to know him, wanted to know the Lord Jesus in a holistic way, both Resurrection power and fellowship of sufferings. That which was necessary to be able to, to do the work, to preach the gospel, to heal and to raise the dead and to do all those things. On the one hand, the, the, the evidence of the resurrection, miraculous power of God, as well as the power to endure the heat of trial. And so a Christian experiencing the, the, the power of God in service and the power of God in suffering that grace is, a, is provided for us to know Jesus in a holistic way. And I repeat, I will not know what it is to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, especially in the hour of trial, until and unless I am reliant on the grace of God in the midst of trial. And having imparted grace, 
I will find in my experience that I'm actually able to go through the trial and come out of the trial with nothing but praise to God. And so some final thoughts, some cautions. Firstly, this. Don't count it as a trial if we, in disobedience, have allowed ourselves to enter into a circumstance that essentially has sort of blown up, if if I could use that term, because of my disobedience. That is the trial I deserve because I'm reaping what I have sown. And many of us have gone away, strayed from the Lord, neglected his word, neglected the time of fellowship, and then we get ourselves in a predicament and the matter just seems to be working against us, not as we anticipated, and then we conclude that we're working through a trial. No, my friends, we are getting spanked. (laughs) We're getting disciplined because we've walked away from the Lord, created a circumstance that now we can't extricate ourselves from, similar to Lot uh, in in, in the cities of the plain, or, or, or Abraham when he went down into Egypt, got themselves in trouble. They can't turn around and blame God now. That trial, my friends, has come about by virtue of our disobedience, and now we are reaping the consequences of self-will. Don't confuse the two. And finally, in Philippians 4, 6, we come to that symbiotic relationship between prayer and God's response. We're exhorted to pray and not exercise care about anything but to be exercised in appealing to God and supplicating him with thanksgiving. This is the antidote to anxiety. And I know we we often use the the, the term prayer very generically. However, it is that calling upon God as my sole source of power in heaven and on earth to undertake for me. I have no one on earth, no one in government, no one in Washington to help me. So I supplicate him being conscious of the fact that all that I have it is because of him and I express my thanks. Oh, my friends, even for the very trial that we are experiencing, the very one that I'm calling upon him for, it is your responsibility and mine to seek his face, to run after him, to wait upon him. And having done so with singleness of heart, he promises he will give peace a peace that goes beyond my intellect, a peace that quiets my spirit resting in his grace. Oh, Father, today help us. Help us to trust you implicitly where we cannot trace you and grant to us the peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth, to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart 
is perfect toward Him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing.